Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church's podcast, where we are taught by the Word and led by the Spirit. I hope today's message encourages you and challenges you to draw nearer to Jesus. Open your Bible to 1 John, but before you uh, dig into 3, and it'll be right in front, I want you to take a look at 1 John uh, 2, 26 through 29. Put your finger on that. 1 John chapter 2, verse 26. And Andrew touched on this a little bit, but this will make sense because I think you need some context of 3 before we get too involved with it. 1 John chapter 2, verse 26. Put your finger and then read this with me. It was, do you guys have the quotations that I had up there? Yeah, check this out. It's, it's boring to read at church, but it, this, is, this is essential. This is, literally, this is literally why John wrote this letter. And I always like to know why uh, the apostle wrote it. What was he trying to say? Who was he trying to say it to? What's the purpose behind it? And so anyways, this is some backstory that I think will help us. So around, I'll just read it, read along with me. Around AD 90, John had written his gospel for the, uh, these believers to whom he had been ministering. Soon after this, some, number, some members of the Christian community left to form a rival group. These rivals were a heretical faction that promoted teachings about Jesus Christ that later characterized Gnosticism. It's a bad situation with Gnosticism. We don't need to go into it. But anyway, such as denying Jesus was, was God in the flesh. By leaving the fellowship of the apostles, they demonstrated they did not belong to God's family. However, the effects of their false teaching still lingered in the minds of the faithful. So John wrote this letter to clear the air of these falsehoods, to bring the believers back to the basics of Christian life, and to reinforce their faith. So, did you get that? So this isn't just a letter to all willy-nilly. And John was a very old man at this time. It's believed uh, to be probably 70 AD when he started this church it's believed he was, it was about 90 AD, and he ended up dying at 99 AD, according to what I've studied. So this is about nine years before he died. He was basically writing this letter to correct a lot of Gentile Christians, or basically to reinforce what being a believer is. So this is a, uh, this is a guy, if you know John at all, this is a guy who walked with Jesus. This is an apostle. This is a sent one. This is a disciple. This is somebody we should listen to. This is somebody we should hold way to. When you see in Acts that it says they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine, this is part of the apostle that created the apostles' doctrine. Okay? So, so it's vital that we get this before we dig into these scriptures to understand that this was a warning but an encouragement for Christians then and Christians today. And we have to understand that. So... Uh, look at 26 with me. 1 John chapter 2, verse 26, and here we go. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. There it is. Do you see the backstory? I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that, re- that you received from him abides in you. Take note of abide. Well, today's gonna, you're going to learn a lot about abiding. The received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So he's talking about there's an anointing, words that we're not really comfortable with or, or even really familiar with, 
But it's really the big idea is when you meet Jesus, the spirit of the Lord's inside of you. It guard, he guards you, he teaches you. John teaches about this with the Holy Spirit in his gospel. So I underline abides in you at the beginning of 27. And then I also underline abides, abide in him. Okay, we're gonna learn a lot about abide. Now go on with me to 28. And now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Okay, so I wanna, I, today I broke down 1 John chapter three into five points. And I call them the, basically the five points of abiding. Now, here's the cool part. The word abide is in 1 John 24 times. The word abide is in what, the, if you start right there where I started, 26 all the way through chapter 3, it's in there around 10 times. So, and, and if you actually read the Gospel of John 2, he, he probably maybe, maybe more than the rest of the apostles, he really does talk in terminology of abide, 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 abide. And it's not a word that I go around saying in my life. I don't know about you guys. I don't, I don't come home and say, Heather, let's abide, you know. Um, <laughs> that'd be weird. I don't talk like that. So anyways, here's the definition, the, the best understanding. And if you study abide, there's, a, there's, some, there's some varying uh, definitions of abide. But anyways, one of them is to accept and act in accordance with. Abide also means to dwell, remain, be present with, to be held or kept. So when you're abiding, you're dwelling in it, you're remaining in something, you're, you're present, you're there, and you're, 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 you, you hold it and you keep it. So we're in unity. We're working on something that might be even oneness. And notice when, you, when we got to the top there that he abides in you and you abide in him. That's an exchange. So I wanted to say this real quick before I get into this, that when you meet Jesus, it's an invitation to abide. It's your choice whether you do or don't. It's your, it, it's, he said, hey, come to me, abide in me. Remember, he's also said, apart from me, you can do nothing. He understands who you are and he understands who he is. So everybody in this room, you have an invitation to be one with Christ, to abide with him, to come, to be, to dwell, to remain, to be present, to hold and keep what he is, who he is, what he's done, what he said. That's what John's trying to get to. So abide needs to be a word that as Christians we get very familiar with. We get very okay with. And, and ask yourself, am I abiding with Christ? Does my life show that I am walking with Christ? Do I dwell with him, remain with him? Am I present with him? Do I hold and keep the things that he wants me to hold and keep? Are you there? Am I there? So that's the weight of abide. Now there's five points that I'm gonna break down and talk through them and try not to over talk as the Holy Spirit's constantly trying to get me to not over preach what's already been said. So bear with me if I do. Uh, number one point is this, and we'll go into 1 John 3, 1. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Okay? Now, number one point, if, you take, if you're taking notes. 
To abide is to behold. And you say, Jeremiah didn't see behold in there. And here's the thing. And I talked to Andrew and Dave about this this week. A guy like Andrew and a guy like Dave say behold a lot, right? If you know them at all, they'd behold. And I'm not mocking them. Don't get defensive. They're my buddies. I can say, I can say mean things too. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but the truth is, is I, I really like ESV. I like the version. As elders, we think it's good and right. But in this case, I think New King James, King James, and uh, ASV, they all used behold. And the scripture that they used was this, and you might have it. Who has, who has New King James in here? Raise your hand. Okay, some sinners. No, just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> My wife loves the New King James. And she's always like, you guys need to switch over. King James, anybody got King James? All right, all right, we're praying for you. ASV, ESV. See, you're in good company. Who doesn't have a Bible? All right, I'm like, who's not reading from anything, you know? Anyways, uh, um, <laughs> so the New King James Version, as Heather's reading it right now, says this. Behold, the King James Version says, Behold, the ASV Version says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And I like the word behold better than I like the word that my ESV was throwing at it or the comments that it was throwing at. See what kind of love. It said ESV, see what kind of love. I like the word behold. I maybe even hear Andrew when he says, behold, David, behold. They write these, and I started thinking, what's behold? Once again, this is like 1600s language because that's when King James all came about. So we don't talk in behold. What's behold mean? But here's what you need to know about behold. Behold is a uh, action. It's, 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 a, it's a verb, right? And it's, it's to see or observe a thing or person, especially a remarkable, impressive one. All right, you feel this, right? I hope so. We're getting there. Behold, what manner of love. So it's a verb. It's a look at. It's a see or observe a thing, a person, especially a remarkable, impressive one. John is saying right out of the gate, and, and my point is to abide is to behold. If you're going to be in Jesus and Jesus in you, you will be mesmerized with who he is, how he loves you, what he's done for you. You just will. And I'm not saying that to condemn you if you don't got it, because I got a little bit of conversation on that. What I'm getting at is this. You and I in Christ will always be amazed how he saved us. It should always be a big deal. Your testimony should always be fresh. It shouldn't be 40 years ago and you're just kind of like, nah. You've lost your behold. And God wants us to live. John wants us to live in the behold. And we live in this, this mesmerizing idea. I was a sinner and you made me a saint. I was the enemy and you invited me in. I was hated and you loved me. Isn't that cool? So how's your behold going, church? That's the big idea with Christmas. We can get so hung up on tradition and going through the motions and doing all this. And here's the cool part, and I'll push back. Tradition is not evil as long as it's with behold. So as you celebrate uh, Christmas here in a week, week and a day or whatever, I guess it's Monday, so we got about eight days. Behold him. 
Behold what Jesus, the Emmanuel, who God, God said to us, behold him. This is how much we're loved. This is, and, 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 and here's the truth. If we're humans, and we all are, I think, there might be lizard people in here, but that's a whole nother, no, I'm just kidding. If just, never mind. <laughs> There's no lizard people in here. I don't think, Jesse. But anyways. <laughs> but it's a behold, and, and it's staying in amazement with him. Um, I, I think this is the truth. We have a tendency as humans to lose our behold. We have a tendency to lose our passion for our marriage. We have a tendency to lose our love and luster for life. We just do. So of course that's gonna be the same effect. So this Christmas season, this is what I would put on you, church, and I would encourage you and challenge in you. Get back to the behold. Live in the behold. Study that. Think about that. Don't be hard on yourself, but if you're not beholding what Jesus uh, has done for you and who he is for you, work on that. Well, you're like, oh, I don't like, you know, work. No, really, get your amazement back. You've lost your all. One of the things that I do love about Andrew and Dave big time and I, is, is they have all. And some people have more all than others. When I say all, they're like, oh, I'm so excited to hang out with God. I could just pray for hours. I might be a five minute in all guy. He's a five hour in all guy, right? I just am in all of God. And I love that. I love having friends. That, and that challenges me. I have people in my life that are so enamored with who God is and the friendship they have with him and the time they spend with him that sometimes it doesn't make me feel guilty. It makes me feel challenged. And I'm like, I want to love God like that. So then I start to say, how do I get that? How do I get the all? How do we as a church get the all? How do we get the, to, to abide is to behold mindset. Here's just a couple. Prayer, prayer, being honest with God. Not, not cute prayer, real prayer. Lord, I am not beholding you like you deserve. I am not in all of you like you deserve. Forgive me and help me. Isn't that good? Our God will help us with everything, including this, including this. Praise. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes just praising will trigger something in your spirit and you'll start beholding him. You'll start looking up. Put on a prayer song. You're, you're feeling beat up. You're feeling frustrated. Put on a praise song and just spend some real heart level time saying, Lord, you are good I don't feel like you are. I'm having a hard time right now. I'm not in awe of who you are and what you've done for me. I got a bad situation that I'm dealing with. You can be honest with him, but then, but then say this. I choose to praise you because none of that changes who you are. And all of a sudden, guys, there's some warfare happening here. I'm giving you, this is, this is good teaching here. I mean it. I'm not trying to sell it, but this is, this is how you get out of the Tuesday lull. This is how you get, because that's when it comes. It's during the week. It's, bleh. Ugh. and you're tired and you don't, have, you don't have the gusto and you feel like, man, not even caffeine can get me feeling good. And so what do you do? Prayer, praise. I do believe tradition. I do. I believe, I, I believe in routine. I believe in showing up at church. I believe in gathering with the saints. I believe in celebrating Christmas. I believe in this Easter. I believe these things in so many ways were actually started to help us to behold who he is, what he's done to remind us and to form our lives in and around him. How are you doing? I believe scripture, of course, here at a church. We believe scripture to be the thing. 
It holds us to it. Receiving scripture, believing in scripture, reading it, submitting to it. Anyways, my second point, I will move on, but I wanted to, to, to come back. To abide is to behold. So that's what he puts on you. So we'll read it again and remember this, and I'm gonna go into my next point. First John, and the, it, it, it'll speed up. We won't take this long on every verse, trust me. Because <laughs> we do, we'll be here for five hours. First John 3, 1 says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, or behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Behold. Number two, and number two goes with 1 John 2 through 3. To abide is to hope in his appearing and live in that. To abide is to hope in his appearing and live in that. Look at uh, two, verse 2 through 3 with me. We'll be back in the SV, Heather. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You see that? So, 1 John 3, 2, 3, to, to abide is to hope in his appearing. Do you hope in his appearing? There's a thing in, the, in scripture, you'll see it throughout scripture. The, the, the apostles that wrote the Bible of the New Testament, you'll see that like at his appearing, at his appearing, at his return. There's always this, it's like, what are, why do we gather? One big reason we gather is to get ready for his appearing. One big reason is we hold each other, we push on each other, we pray for each other, is so that we can prepare each other for when he appears, his returning. And because it's been a couple thousand years since all these, a lot of these verses were written, we can get a little lazy on expecting his, his appearing. We can get a little bit like, well, it didn't happen in their generation, and it didn't happen in their generation, and, it's not, and we can get a little bit like, well, is he really going to appear? And that's not the point. The point is living prepared for his appearing. The point of the scripture is to live like he's coming. And, it, and when he comes, what happens? And there is a mystery, and, and they don't even try to, and it's, it's, it says it elsewhere. We are God's children now. What we, will, what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Corinthians talks about this around 13. There's other scriptures that describe this. What we will be will be like Jesus when he comes back. And to be honest, we don't fully know that. They didn't fully know it. I don't fully know it. I'm not gonna even try to explain that to you, but I'm telling you, when he appears, we'll be like him. And that's cool. And that's hope. Because here's the cool part. If you're like Jesus, you're doing okay. You are doing great. Amen? Amen. All right, so look at 2 Timothy. Uh, uh, there's a couple verses I wanted to throw down there with this. Abide is to hope in his appearing. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. This is Paul writing to uh, one of his disciples, Timothy 6 through 8. And he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I have, kept, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge. 
will re- uh, award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There it is. The, 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 the great apostle Paul's putting his weight on that. So let me ask you something, and this is pressing, and we'll get into this a little bit in my next, my, my next point. Are you living a life that's loving his appearing? If he comes tomorrow, are we living a life that's loving his appearing? Because that's what Apostle Paul said there, guys. He, he, says, he said, I did it. I laid my life down. I was poured out. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Those are the tangible things of people that are expecting his appearing. We live out this thing. This, this weight of his appearing puts this like, oh, I got to fight the fight. I got to stand on the ground. I have to go to the end. I have to finish. It's not doing it for half of your life and then quitting. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now look at Titus 2, another one of Paul's disciples that he sent. Uh, Titus 2, verse 11. Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. There it is. God's grace showed up. Jesus, now look at 12. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing, there it is, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. There's so much in these verses of what we live like, how we live if we are people that are living in and under his appearing, under that expectation that he's coming and he's coming soon. And there it is again. We renounce ungodliness. We, we get rid of worldly passions. We live self-controlled lives. We live upright and godly lives. In this present age, we're waiting for our blessed hope. We're waiting. We're expecting, we're hoping the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us. Amen. So number two, to abide is to hope in his appearing and to live in that. First John 3 says it, 2 Timothy, and there's so many more in there, but those were just a few that I wanted to put in front of you, church. Now the third point, and we move on, is to abide in Jesus, we desire to be pure as he is pure. And you see that at the end of three, three yeah, verse three, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. Verse three, to abide in Jesus, we desire to be pure as he is pure. Okay? Now, I'm going to push on this. Man, I am sweating something fierce. Do you guys see that? I'm I'm glad we're not doing two services because I'd have to switch shirts. (laughs) It's hot up here. Anyways... It's just because your guys' gaze is just so hard. It's like, oh my gosh. (laughs) I have to roll my sleeves up. Do you see it? I'm going to have like a T.D. Jakes towel here in a minute. It's like, if you know T.D. Jakes, he's like, you know. Anyways, back on, back on. (laughs) Get back on track, Jeremiah. Um, 
To abide in Jesus, we desire to be pure as he is pure. And you see how he ends verse three there. Um, and that's what I, and everyone who, who has this hope, who everyone has the hope of Christ, the appearing, all the stuff we just talked about, in him purifies himself as he is pure. And then there's this, there's this thing that we wanna do in our lives when we have Jesus and we're abiding in him and trusting in him. So I'm just going to read through, but I want to put this one big question with you, and then I'm going to read through some incredibly difficult scriptures that just say some stuff. And I'm not going to over-preach them, I hope, but this is what I was talking about. And you've got to lift, if you've tuned me out, that's fine. Tune me in right now and let this hit you. Ask yourself the tougher questions. And this is the question I put before you, church. How... uh, how is your relationship with sin? We'll put that out there. How is your not, oh good, he's talking about sin. She needs it. They need it. He needs it. Don't go around the room thinking of all the people that are living in sin. That's not what this is about. You, you Christian, if you're a non-Christian, think about this. It's fine. How is your relationship with your sin? Because we all have it. And you saw earlier in, in, in 1 John, he talks about everyone in sin. If you don't have sin, you're a liar. We all have stuff. How's our relationship with it? So here we go. Hang in there, and, and I'm going to dig into it. So 1 John 3, I had to turn my Bible. It turned. Whew. Four. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him, I underlined that, keeps on sinning. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. See, I do have to pause here. Remember context. He's talking to a group that had a deceptive group, uh, leaders that broke off from the body and they were saying all sorts of stuff. And I'll be honest with you, we live in a day and a time where you can go into churches and they will deceive you into thinking that how you live doesn't matter. That sin is not a thing. It's all forgiven. You don't have to live a certain way. You don't have to repent, turn, and trust. Just be whoever you are, do whatever you do, and God's good with it. The problem is 1 John 3. It calls us out. It calls me out. Little children, let no one deceive you. Cobblestone, let no one deceive you. Young men, young women, moms, dads, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Now, you need to hear this because everybody in this room's thinking, I sin. At least you should be, or you're not very humble. If you're sitting here thinking, I, know, I don't think I sinned at all this week. I'm awesome. Let's talk. Because either I want what you have or you need corrected. So it's like, um, we all sin, don't we? So it's not this idea that, that you never sin. What it is about the practice, it's, and you'll see this throughout as I, as I continue, practice of sinning. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, it's a heart thing. It's a posture. It's an attitude. And I've pastored long enough and dealt with enough people and said enough things, right and wrong, that I've seen this in people. 
I've seen people, and there's some of you in here I'm working with, and you have incredibly difficult sins. Addictions, struggles, battles. And I don't want, whew, and I don't want you to feel condemned because of your battle. John doesn't want you to feel condemned because of your battle. It's a heart posture. So you're sinning. And the question is, do you care? Are you talking to Jesus about that struggle? If you're failing, are we winning the fight? Is the statistics getting better? The point of, I really want him to, I really want to pastor this moment. We all have stuff, but do you care? The person in this room that you say, I am fine and I can do whatever I want and practice whatever I want and say a prayer and God's good for it with me, this is for you. Be careful. Do not be deceived because your heart very well could be getting deceived. Person in this room that says, man, I want to be righteous, but I am struggling. I am struggling. I am, I drink too much. I looked at something I shouldn't looked at. I talked the way I shouldn't talk. And you're saying, but I repent and I confess and I invite the presence and the power of God into my life to call me out on my sin. Part of the reason we do the communion, we've seen more success. If you're a part of Cobblestone, once a month, we fully feel as elders to dedicate table, 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 and we encourage people to take communion. Because one of the things that we see God's doing in this church that's so profound is he's calling a people to repentance. So the truth is, is I sit at this table along with Hez so often, and so many of you, and I'm so thankful for it, along with other elders, you confess your sins, and you're messing up, and you're falling short. But that's the point of communion. You're examining yourself, you're saying his righteousness is on me. I trust in that. So I'm gonna confess, repent, and follow. It's for the folks that say, I don't have sin. I'm okay. Faith has a TikTok. I think it was TikTok. She posted something spiritual as faith tends to do and it was good and right. But it was about how you live. And of course, this culture pushed back and said, all we have to do is believe in Jesus, right? Wasn't it something like that? All you gotta do is believe in Jesus, which is true if it's connected to the verses. But if you just take all, you know, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth and you're good to go and not repent and trust and be born again and then let, live under scripture. And let me say, abide, you're in trouble. That poor girl that responded to her that said that, she's like, oh no, she, I can live however I wanna live. All I had to do is say a prayer. Deceived. And I've been a part of churches that tend to have giant altar calls. Not all wrong. Don't hear that Jeremiah's against altar calls. Billy Graham was doing a good work. But so often people can just raise their hand, run up front, not count any cost, not understand what abiding is, not understand the full count, that they're not, they're not understanding the full repentance. There's, the word believe is a big word and holds a lot in it. So be careful with that. So don't wanna over preach. I feel like I'm, I'm right there where I need to be. I'm pulling back. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. John doesn't play. He didn't say, well, you know, they're okay of the devil. If you're just going to live in sin and call yourself a Christian, you're of the devil. And I love you too much to not say that. I want you to repent and follow the Lord. And, and so do the elders. And, we've got, and guys, what's so sad is I'm a preacher of the gospel and I'm afraid to say this because we're in a culture that's produced something at pulpits where we're afraid to say stuff like this. 50 years ago, about every pulpit was saying stuff like this. Like, repent. 
It's a no-brainer. Don't live in sin. Don't live in sin if you're in Christ. Repent, follow him, confess, deal with it. Amen. Six of us said amen. All right, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Never forget the abide of why he came. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. You see this? By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now, once again, keep this in mind. John was trying to explain to a bunch of Gentile churches with this letter, how do I know who's in Christ and who's not? How do you guys know? Some of you in this room, you're like, how do I know I'm a Christian or not? I said the prayer. And here's the truth. Just like I said, what's the posture of your heart? Are you repented, trusting Jesus? Or are you spinning truth, just walking in sin, saying it's okay? That's the warning. That's the warning of John. Now, there's this, this great thing that he says in here, and I do want to double on this one. You have to see this. Whew. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So if Jesus came into this world and hated sin and wants to destroy sin, and if Jesus comes into my life, the same Jesus that did not sin redeemed me, gave me, gave me righteousness in and through his life and death and resurrection. This Jesus hates sin. Make no mistake about it. So when Jesus came into the world to destroy sin, when Jesus comes into your, your world, Grover, he's destroying sin. Daniel, he's destroying sin. He's destroying sin. Jesus in us destroys sin. That's what he's doing. That's, a, that's called, that, that's this thing, this beautiful thing of maturity and being taught and, and growing. That's why we sit and we learn and we grow. Jesus in us is destroying sin. Amen? Isn't that good? There's hope in that. So when I, so one of the things is like, I don't have to get rid of all my sin. All I got to do is get in Jesus. I don't have to figure it all out. I don't have to be a theologian. I don't have to have 85 people praying for me. What I need to do is, is, is pursue the one who destroys sin. And in pursuing him, abiding, chasing him, running after him, he will make me righteous. And he'll sanctify me. And he'll grow me. And he'll mature me. And he'll produce fruit in and through me. Because that's a promise of him. Amen? Takes the pressure off of you. You don't have to say, oh, I gotta go with you. I gotta stop sinning. Stop sinning. No! Don't think I gotta stop sinning. Start chasing Jesus with a passion, with a zeal, with a togetherness, with a, with a beautiful, and through scripture. That's the, that's the, the caveat here. Woo! Are we Okay. Oh my gosh, I got to get through this. I got a few more minutes and then we're going to, hey, how Christmassy is this, right? <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I felt like, I was like, Lord, this is not a Christmas message. And then the kids, we're going to all have to switch and like kids come up all cheery. Why is everybody so down and out? Well, Jeremiah just yelled at them all about sin. So, <laughs> so I'm like, well, it's the Bible, isn't it? Isn't it good? Isn't it healthy? We're, I'm, glad to, I'm glad to be able to do that. I'm glad you are a church that wants this and receives this. So that also encourages me. Anywho, uh, we move on. Uh, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. God's seed abides in him. This is the other thing. God's seed abides in him 
And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, you need to know what the seed is. Because I was like, what, what's God's seed? I mean, it's, easy, it's too easy just to say it's the Spirit. Could be. But other people said it's the Spirit of God, it's the life of God, and it's, the, it's implanted by the Word of God. So do you see that? How do I, just like all that stuff of chasing Jesus, Spirit of God, put in you by Jesus, life of God, we are just in it, we submit to it, we abide in it, and the implanted Word of God. And so that's, that's what I got on that. And it was like, that's the seed of God. And the point is, is when he gets inside of you. Heather and I were all, I mean, we've pastored so many people over the years, young couples sleeping together. It's such a common thing when you were a young adult pastor and then we were young life. And so they're sleeping together. And one of the things we're always like, do you feel any conviction? Not condemnation, conviction, big difference. Because here's the truth. I loved Jesus when I was about 17. I finally repented, trusted him. And I crossed lines with girls, including her, before we, before we got married. 100% honest here. Kids aren't in here yet, the little ones. Like, pull back, Jeremiah, you're getting too rated R. What lines did you cross? Stop. Here's the point. I felt conviction because God's seed was in me. And God's seed in me says, I'm not going to let you run down that path. You're, you, you're called to righteousness, not sin. You're called to openness, not secrecy. And everything in my life, how I handle money, like you guys know, I used to not pay my, my taxes uh, on cash jobs. The seed of God got in there and he started calling me out. How I treat Heather, how I'm a dad, how I have struggled with pornography, all these different things. The seed of God, it's in there pushing me to righteousness, saying this is not who you are. Let the seed of God do what it does. Some of you just need to say, I just want more of that. Like, like let that, read that scripture and say, Lord, I want that. And, re and receive that. By this it is evident, verse 10, I move on. By this it is evident that who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Once again, what defines a Christian? Right now, 1 John is saying, what defines a Christian is people that abide in Jesus, people that live righteously and submitted to the word and the will of God and people who love their brothers. This is what he goes into, and Andrew touched on it pretty hard. First John is just, it's a narrative on loving your brothers. So, the fourth point, to abide is to love like he loves. 11 through 18, let's just read it. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain. This is Adam and Eve's kids who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. I find that interesting that he just throws this little chestnut in there. The other thing is, and I don't have too much time to preach on this, but all who love God will be persecuted. If you are a Christian in this room, and I'm glad you're here, but I'm warning you, if you're really going to follow Jesus, the world's going to hate you. You have to hear that. Now, that doesn't mean they hate me, I'm gonna hate them. I'm just gonna be hateful, screw them all. That's not the spirit. You, in fact, have to love them. Christ has called us to love our enemies. What it means is if you're living righteous and surrendered and submitted to God, there will be people that do not like what you believe, what you preach, what you sit under, the church you go to, how you vote, how you live your life, how you handle your money, how you wait to get married till you have, uh, have sex, all these different things. The world will mock and hate and pick and tear, period. 
And it's true. The world's gonna hate you. And some people really struggle with that because I do. I love to be loved. I actually am like that. I, uh, like, I was gonna say Michael Scott. I was gonna joke about the office, but I'm not going there. <laughs> I need to be loved or whatever. I love, when, I like to be accepted. I like to be in the in crowd. I love all that. But I just know that I have com- committed myself to Christ. And in doing so, if they hated him, they're gonna hate me. I'm not above my master. Anyways, so we move forward. We know that we have passed out uh, out of death into life because we love the brothers. One of the ways you can start testing them, how am I doing in my walk with Christ? How are you loving the church? How are you loving your brothers and sisters? Let me say, this is going to be a challenge. My role at Cobblestone, this has been a challenge. Helping Christians love each other. Helping Christians resolve issues. Helping Christians get over, myself included. I pray often because I feel an offense towards someone or something and I want to hold bitterness or unforgiveness. It's a temptation all the time. And many of us have been church hurt. Many of us have stories. And those people and that group and that person, he claimed to be Jesus, or or he claimed to be Jesus. Yeah, stay away from them. Uh, He claimed to love Jesus and then they treated me like so. But how are you loving the brothers? It doesn't say love them unless they did this to you. Love them unless they did that to you. It's loving, forgiving, reconciling, if possible. Another, another, another message for another time. But that's how we know we've passed out from death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. You see the, 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 the difference there? You're no longer in love when you're loving, you're abiding in Christ. When you're hating, you're abiding in death. You do not want to be in cahoots with death. It's a dangerous place. It's a dark place. It's a lying and deceiving place. And that's the abide danger right there. I love how he said abides with death because it's not like you can only abide to Jesus. You can abide to other things. You can be living and connected to other things. Anyways, we know that we have passed out. Okay, whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's good, sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Once again, John's calling out love. Love in word is not enough. Love in action is what Jesus did, and it's what abiding does, and that's what we're called to. So if you see needs and you don't care, pray about that. That's a problem. It just is. You see hurting, broken, poor, d- destitute, the, the mercy works folks, like stuff that John and his group, like they, if you don't care, that's a problem. We have to care. We have to grow in it because that's what love does. Okay, little children, let us not love word and deed, but indeed in the truth. Now, my last and final point before we bring the kids in here and we sing Christmas. <laughs> Is, the, is abiding produces confidence in Christ. This is cool. This is, I love how John ended this, per, well, not that he wrote this in chapters, but I like how this, at least this segment ended. Uh, abiding in Christ produces, or produces confidence in Christ. Abiding produces confidence in Christ. Whatever I tried to say. I'm sweating, I'm having a time. This is just great, isn't it? Um, verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. 
Now, John's being a pastor here too because he talks about the people that, do, that are doing all this stuff and still don't feel like they're making it. Because there are people in this room, believe it or not, you are abiding, sacrificing, living, loving, giving, not sinning, repenting, confessing, and you still feel like that's not enough. Once again, John's a pastor. I'm a pastor. I, I, I've pastored people, and I hate that. Sometimes it's a condemnation thing. Sometimes I think it's a spiritual thing. I do not 100% know why some Christians feel that. But he's saying, listen, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. And you lean on God. So then, that's a person of faith where they just say, look, I trust God. I trust the word. I've done everything I know to do. I'm submitted and I'm serving. And if God says I'm righteous, then I'm righteous. God says I'm going to heaven, then I'm going to trust that, even if I don't feel it. But you have confidence. I wanted to tie it back to 19. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth. By this, what? By loving your brothers. When, this is the confidence. And then he goes into even prayer. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. When you obey God, when you abide in God, there should be a confidence in your prayer time. This is, not that you earned it. It's not what he's saying. But you're like, I'm submitted, I'm serving, I've obeyed, I have a confidence. Prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Do you see that? And I do, I know, like this is what he's talking about. When he wants his people to have confidence in their prayer time and in their walk and who they are. Confidence that they're loved, that they're living right, they're following, that their prayers will be answered. It's exactly what he's putting on. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. There's a confidence in that. I'm doing, I'm keeping your commandments, Jesus, and I'm doing what pleases you. And this is his commandment. This is what he closes with, uh, what I'm closing with, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. By this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. I hope today's message has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you would like more information, you can find us at www.cobblestonechurch.com. Have a great week and God bless.